All right, fan drive time. Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Ben Ennis, Blake Murphy. It's almost like too obvious to start here with uh, what has transpired um, with Blake Murphy. You're a very soggy person right now. You're not wearing shoes in the studio. Yeah, I got weathered. <laughs> There's no other way to put it. I walked into the studio uh, from my place around, I don't know, 1 o'clock, and two minutes into that walk, the skies opened up, and... Uh, yeah, there's no tarps to roll out over top of me. No, once I start that walk, but there are brawlies to be had, and and I mean, we're was, on route though. No, no, no. But when you left your apartment, was it not uh, precipitating in that moment? Had you not maybe looked at a forecast? Like, were you not aware of the potential for the soaking? At, I don't look at the forecast. No. Right, okay. I looked at the window and it was gray, and <laughs> it wasn't raining. Mm-hmm. So I. Is this a learning moment Got for you now? In. Maybe, no. maybe like maybe next time you won't scoff at me when I ask you if you looked at the forecast. Maybe like looking at the forecast is actually beneficial no, every once in a while, so the, you don't you know gets all soggy and you know you have to do a radio show in socks. The only change that I would make to any of this is, uh, you know, I've been here almost two years now. I, I think, I think I can get a drawer in one of the desks and leave a change <laughs> of clothes just in case. I, absolutely, one hundred percent. Listen, you could have probably gone down to a wardrobe and, and borrowed somebody's suit. That would have been, you would have been all classed up, dolled Justin up. Justin Bourne would have had me thrown out of this place <laughs> if I went anywhere near his uh, his wardrobe. Okay, well, w- hopefully you'll, uh, you'll, you'll dry up by the end of the show. But like you said, you've been here for hours and still a soggy boy. Still wet. Uh, well, luckily, there's a good show ahead of us and... Yeah, no rain at the Masters, yeah. and we got the tire. It is going to rain at the Masters, though, apparently, this weekend, yeah. That's not what Sam McKee told me. Oh, uh, he's a liar. No, yeah. the forecast, buddy, You, if you have weather questions, you come to me, okay? Because mm-hmm. I know what the weather forecast is for here. I know what the weather forecast is for Kansas City. I actually haven't looked at Anaheim yet. I know what the weather forecast is in Augusta, Georgia, because those are important forecasts to me. Uh, looks good in KC, not so good in Augusta. We're all clear in Anaheim. It's, oh, a very, good. it's a very important series to me this weekend. So that one I have looked at. All right. Very good. Um, all right. Let's start with the, the Blue Jays game from yesterday. They got, they got a good start out of Yusei Kikuchi. What? Well, I think the higher level thing than just the Blue Jays game is we got the, the ti- Toronto treble, right? Yeah. Like three, right. three no sweat W's for the, for the Toronto teams. I, yeah. I mean, 4-1 is, is, I guess, no sweat. It should be against a team, again, that was shut out in two of its first three games. That does, doesn't exactly throw an imposing lineup uh, up against you, but did score eight runs in in first game of the series. But, yeah, 4-1 uh, victory, and you say Kikuchi getting through five. Didn't have a walk through the first four innings of play. Only had a couple of strikeouts. It was an odd start here, Blake. And you look under the hood a little bit. Well, you don't even have to look under the hood. You just have to watch the start and the rockets that were being hit into gloves and some great defensive plays. But this is a good defensive Blue Jays team. So maybe that's a good idea to, you know, let the defenders do their job. But, man, that was a start they had to have coming off three quarters of a rotation looking horrible. Yeah, and I'm certainly not going to sit here and, and nitpick at five one-run innings from Yusei Kikuchi. How, like, I don't care if those 15 outs were all Kiermaier jumping over the wall <laughs> to save them. Uh, the rotation needed it pretty badly. Kikuchi needed it pretty badly. It's very clear from the post-game quotes, and you can read Ben Nicholson-Smith's work at sportsnet.ca or some of our other friends around the beat. Uh, there is a lot of rooting for Yusei Kikuchi they love going on in that, in that clubhouse. 
Um, so that's great as well. And I also think, yeah, we can do the the process side things with some of the exit velocities and how well hit those balls were. But also his fastball was like sitting 97 with yeah. some regularity, touching 97.8 at one point. The breaking ball, I mean, it spins. It's very, very good. And yeah, this is a guy whose biggest thing, no matter what's been going on, whether the strikeout stuff is there or not, whether the hard hit stuff is there or not, the consistent problem has always, always, always been number one, walks. Yep. And he walked one pl- one player. Yeah. And he didn't let it unravel. He actually came back with back-to-back punch outs. Yep. There's only two of the game. No, it was honestly, yeah. Okay, so was his expected um, ERA, according to StatCast, worse than his overall expected ERA from a season ago? Yes. Do I care? No. Did he allow, what, like five exit velocities over 100 miles an hour? I don't care because, yeah, that's the process to me. It's different than Jose Barreos where the process is, holy cow, like he didn't get nickel and dime. This is a guy that, again, couldn't get a swing and miss with the fastball. The process for Yusei Kikuchi, as you rightly pointed out, is throwing strikes. He did that effectively so I, i'm satisfied i like i said the the strikeout numbers in spring didn't impress me all that much i did see a pretty high walk rate uh pretty similar walk rate to the one we saw during the regular season so that didn't convince me that first start though did feel like there was a step in the right direction it goes even beyond the numbers too like you don't want to become the body language like interpreter at times but man that looked like a different dude oh and when he got out of the fifth inning there he was clearly fired up john schneider said after the game that he wanted to go back out there for the sixth, which i mean obviously guys are always going to want to do that um but no it's great and, and again with the exit velocity stuff like this is a guy who even when he's been at his best can give up some hard hit stuff you like hard in hard out yep. that's the way it goes a lot of the time if you're not a you know, at, at the elite end of, of those hard throwers. So, yeah, you're you're going to have to live with some well-hit balls and some home runs from Kikuchi over the course of a season. But the ways to mitigate that damage are don't put guys on base for free. Mm-hmm. And the guys who can't put a charge into it, get them out. Yep. And whether that's strikeout, whether that's, you know, guys jumping. You know, I saw some swings early in counts that – Guys maybe didn't look like they were all that convinced they should be swinging. Like when the stuff looks that good on that day like that, it makes hitters uncomfortable, right? That's something that can go both ways. Hitters can make a pitcher uncomfortable in certain parts of the plate. And if a a guy has that kind of stuff from the left side, Mm -hmm. you're going to have to take the first thing that looks hittable because it might be all you get that feels hittable. And there were some of those Royals plate appearances where, yeah, they hit them hard, but there were also a handful where – they didn't hit him hard at all, and it, they, they didn't look comfortable up there. Yep, and a nice uh, bounce back outing from uh, Tim Mesa. Jimmy Garcia looked great, too. Tim Mesa, four strikeouts. Yeah, that's good. Uh, four innings from the bullpen with only one hit allowed. Yeah. And, like, batter to batter went exactly how you would have laid it out. Like, the, honestly, the only thing you could have thrown a question at is, was it a four-out Romano save or with a three-run yeah. lead against the offense like the the Royals? Do you just roll with the Garcia? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it, it, everyone looked pretty good back there. Um, if not for Yusei Kikuchi, this would have been the Dalton Varsho game, though, because he had a spectacular throw from left field. Hardest throw he's ever had in his entire career uh, and also didn't have a home run to left field all of last season, hit 27 home runs. First home run he hits as a Blue Jay is, of course, an opposite field home run to left field the throw was spectacular though oh, holy cow like that the was route, the timing on it, it one hop right into the chest yeah. and like out by a good good margin if that happened in the st louis cardinal series a tyler o'neill type would be sitting on the bench today yeah. for getting gunned down to that degree or tyler that o- was O'Neal. awesome <laughs>
Tyler O'Neill. No, the Dolph Varsho thing's awesome. I know, I know, but now I'm stuck on Tyler O'Neill, who's like still having to fend off conversation if people missed it. Yeah. By the way, we just watched, uh, I know know we shouldn't do the out of town watching, but it is Shohei on the mound, and he just hit Teoscar with a 94 mile an hour pitch right in the ribs. Okay. Now we're we're doing, we're talking about three games at once. I'm talking about Tyler O'Neill yesterday. You're talking about Shohei, and we're we're talking about the Blue Jays games off of television for me because (laughs) if Shohei is pitching to Teoscar, I'm going to be looking. Yeah, Varsho was awesome and, and you know that that's there's no gordy howe hat trick in baseball at one yeah, point there is. at one point i came up with the adam dunn hat trick which was a strikeout strike a walk and a home run yeah, on the same sense. game yeah just good guess that one i i don't think even if there were one you'd have bunt single and outfield assist in there like forgot about the drag bunt single that was yeah. just a, a work of art and here's the thing the guys who could have outfield assists paired with drag bunt singles probably aren't hitting that many home runs no they're not and yeah, you know what? The only thing to add to that is he's also a good base runner. Let's see a stolen base in there, too. Let's yep. get the uh, Dalton Varsho Grand Slam. Wow, that would be quite something. Matt Chapman also tying the franchise record. 11 hits in his first five games. He's He, he hit fourth yesterday against the lefties. He's hitting fifth today against the righty in uh, Zach Granke behind Dalton Varsho, who's back in in fourth and no Kevin Kiermaier today yeah Matt Chapman has to hit ahead of uh, Alejandro Kirk not just because he's off to a better start but you can't have Kirk on the base pass behind a guy who just hits a double every at bat Matt Chapman is uh, beyond locked in at this point (laughs) like every single thing off his bat is a is a rocket and he's using all field Joe Siddle with us yesterday an awesome breakdown of some of the body mechanics yeah Um, you know we don't need to go in that detail we could just say a lot of rockets coming off that bat and coming off of it to that kind of opposite field power alley that we expect guys like Guerrero and Bichette, and maybe we can add Chapman to that list if this is a thing that's coming. That's supposed to be a friendly-ish part of the new Rogers Center. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. Um, outfield defense, even without George Springer in right field, you got a great play out of Whit Merrifield. Kevin Kiermaier uh, had a great catch in, in center field, great route, didn't need to dive because, you know, he's fast and took the correct uh, route at the baseball Already talked about the Dalton Varsho play in left field. Kiermaier's off to a great start offensively. I mentioned he's not in the lineup today, but he's hitting over 400. Um, he is fast, has been fast. I mean, the, the the sprint speed numbers in limited sample this season has him uh, in the upper half of, of major leaguers. I wonder, Blake, because he's wants to be the best number nine hitter in all of baseball is what he said going into spring training. And so far, so good in that regard. But he does have speed, like, and I, I wonder how low the Blue Jays will be to to give him the green light, considering the guys that are going to hit behind him, the top of the lineup: George Springer, Bobichet, and then Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Like, it's like I, I would like to see him take off, take off, but it's hard when you're potentially taking the bat out of those guys' hands. I mentioned uh, yesterday that your stolen base trade offs change depending on what type of offensive environment you're in Mm. and a team like the Royals that isn't going to hit a lot of home runs is going to feel a little more free to run because um, the the cost of an out if you don't have power behind you isn't quite as significant Uh, the value of taking extra base if there are more singles hitters behind you instead of home run hitters behind you is even larger so yes that that is a a piece of the accounting Um, but I don't think it's something that you can really reshape the like I think it's one of those it is what it is things I don't think you can you know, the, lar- him up the larger of like- sample of Kiermaier does not suggest that he should be hitting higher than ninth yeah. most days. Um, you'd also get into, you know, if you want to play, like say he's hitting seventh or eighth and you play, you want to play a little hit and run with them or, or uh, delay steal that kind of stuff. 
if he's hitting in front of eight, nine hitters instead of top of the order guys, well, you trust the bat to ball a little less in, in terms of helping him along and making those um, situational base running things productive. Also, if the idea of taking Kiermaier from first to second is a good one, which it is, of course, you'd want him that, to do that. But if he does that with Vlad and Bo and Springer up, that's really valuable. If he does it with guys who aren't hitting as well up, it's it's tougher. So I, I just I, I think it's a thing, but I don't I think the impact of slightly limiting Kiermaier's green light is much, much smaller than what you'd get by moving him elsewhere. Like there would be other externalities in that position, which is which are that lesser hitters are, are trying to get Kiermaier across or lesser hitters are setting up uh, Vlad and Bo and Springer at the top. Like I've always been a proponent of there, there are batting order optimization rules you could follow. Um, once you get past number six, though, I kind of like your, I do like a little speed in the nine hole, but you're the guy who's going to be on base to set the table for the mm-hmm. top of the order. So Kiermaier hitting this well so far is, I don't know. I think that kind of fits, fits. He did the take plan. off once. I think it was on a two strike foul, foul ball by uh, George Springer yesterday. But yeah, I just, everybody's stealing bases except for the Blue Jays. Um, but that's that's all well and good as long as you win games and score runs, uh, which they did yesterday. Uh, got it off against a Royals team that came back to earth after uh, getting to Jose Barrios um, in game one of the series. We got a new Blue Jay today, Blake. Yeah. Jordan Luplo. Claim from the Braves, he was optioned to Buffalo, Hunjin Ryu finally, mercifully, put on the 60-day IL. I don't understand what the benefit was to, to waiting until this moment. Like, did... There must have been a con- there must have been a reason why the Blue Jays didn't do it until this very second. I think it's just why do it until you absolutely have to. But why not do it until you like why why not do it? He's my well, guess for that would be that the union and agents and maybe even your guys at AAA don't look favorably on open forty man spots for too long. Oh, that's a good one actually. That that you know what I think you might have cracked the code. I mean I don't know the NBA has rules that like if you're if you're a larger roster is too short for too long, like you get penalized. No, there there a, are rules against that. Okay. I, I don't have the MLB CBA handy, so I'm, I'm not 100% sure. No, that sure. makes a ton of sense. But, but yeah, be, guys that aren't on the 40-man, they're like, oh, you could you could put me on there. Like, yeah. I, I could I could start my service. To- oh, you're not. You're and choosing not to. I'd wonder like Jay too, Jackson, he's it, like, oh, oh, thanks, thanks, thanks for that. I'd wonder, too, in the in the CBT luxury tax era, if they're, you know, if, if the league is just hypersensitive of potential loopholes of running, you know, 30 men on your 40 man roster or something like that. So they're keeping a closer eye on those things and just having only 39 on your 40 man for a while raises a red flag. I don't know. I still go back to the Matt Gage thing of, of why not do it? Why not manage it a little differently then? Um, but yeah, Ludlow is, uh, I don't know. He's something he's, what did he call him earlier? Uh, I tell you, giant, giant tiger, well, Robbie Grossman. No, that sounds like it's denigrating giant tiger, which I'm not attempting to do. I have a giant tiger, uh, very near to to where I live. Um, but yeah, he is a little bit cheaper, Robbie Grossman. And actually, the the career numbers against left handed hitters or left handed pitchers are actually superior in an OPS sense to what Robbie Grossman has done. Now, Robbie Grossman has a higher batting average, but Luplo walks a little bit more, uh, and he's hit for big-time power against lefties. Not so much against righties, and I think overall a better defender. I mean, everything Big I've arm, seen. arm, at least. Yeah, huge arm, about an, grading out at like a, about an average dude, about uh, you know, even outs above average uh, Major League Baseball stack ass, but like in the 96th percentile when it comes to uh, arm strength, um, a guy that I guess becomes an option if, if you know, Whit Merrifield isn't, isn't doing it for you against lefties in the outfield or Santiago Espinal, he can become an option, you know, when you have 
uh, seemingly only Kiermaier out of the lineup against lefties because the way Dalton Varsho's looked against lefties, I don't think he's getting too many days off. Not anytime soon anyway. So the the other thing is, you know, you mentioned potential fill-in for Merrifield if Merrifield doesn't click as a fourth outfielder. My mind went to the Nathan Lucas spot where Nathan Lucas is the only player on the team without a plate appearance yet. So that that's a really limited role yeah. anyway. And Lucas is... Far as I can tell, and again, you know, you can't really pull Speed, a ton like of who's tape. faster exactly. And Ludlow started four games in center field last year mm-hmm. on a team that employed Dalton Varsho and had like a bajillion great defensive outfielders. Mm-hmm. So he's probably not a, a complete zero if he started in center field over a Varsho or a Jake McCarthy type. Um, so maybe you're comfortable with that. I think what we'll probably have to look at is. Are there times where it feels like, ah, if Nathan Lucas were right-handed, he'd stay in this game or he'd be used in this spot? If that comes up more than once or twice, maybe Ludlow and a and a swap for Nathan Lucas. Because Nathan Lucas has options and everything. He can go Except, down the minors. Like in the, the one instance where he came up, it was against a righty, and they're like, ah, they pinch hit Kevin yeah. uh, Biggio for him. And look, <laughs> this team has told us last year with the Bradley Zimmer thing and the third catcher at times, and then this year with the Nathan Lucas over Otto Lopez decision that they're very, very comfortable with the 26 roster spot being a defensive replacement and base running specialist. Mm-hmm. I would say that from what we've seen, tiny samples trying to watch triple a tape and uh, go back to Arizona last year, Lucas may be a, a slightly better defender and slightly better base runner, but that right-handedness is maybe a factor. Uh, so I mentioned we have the lineup for tonight. No Kevin Kiermeyer in the lineup. So we get to see Dalton Varsho in center field for the first time this season, Matt Chapman hitting behind him because you got to, got to get that guy's, high up in the order as possible with Alejandro Kirk back uh, behind the plate and uh, hitting six. Brandon Belt back in there as the DH. Whit Merrifield's the left fielder today against a righty and Zach Greinke, who, yeah, doesn't throw hard, not like a power righty or anything. And Kevin Biggio, who apparently is, is going to get, you know, just about, he's going to get some looks at least against right-handed uh, pitching playing second base. Um, the Merrifield left field thing, no Kevin Kiermeyer is interesting because... I know when we broke down the signing and, you know, we're surprised by Kiermaier's comments at the outset that he was told he'd be an everyday player, that you go throughout the course of his career and that really only means 120, 130 games. But, yeah, kind of thought, especially the way he's playing. And I know he's coming off the hip thing, so... But they're on grass. I don't know. I don't know. We talked about it yesterday a little bit, right, with John Schneider's comments about Whit Merrifield's role, where it's like, yeah, everyone's going to stay in the mix, but kind of open to someone running with it. You're not going to say no to performance. Kiermaier's running with it. Right. But what we kind of came away from those comments with was it sure sounded like they had a plan for who would play how much in this first 10-day stretch. And Merrifield was going to get three straight starts. And they were going to stick to that. Yeah. So... There's also an element of if you're looking specifically at Zach Granke and who knows, would it surprise anyone if Zach Granke came back and has the world's nastiest knuckleball now after spending a season throwing 87 mile hour fastballs and 55 mile hour curveballs? I I don't know that we could peg much on Zach Granke, but we do know that, um, you know, back to our opening day conversation around Dalton Varsho, this is the type of righty he does a lot of damage against those, those softer fastballs. And Kevin Biggio does have some pitcher types that he looks particularly strong again so we'll see how guys who don't throw 110 i would say yeah guys who don't throw (laughs) fastballs in hard spots to hit yeah Uh, so he's good against bad pitchers Uh and uh i don't want to call zach granke a bad pitcher i am beyond fond of zach granke but uh He's like 100 at this point. <laughs> like he's, he's one year old for every mile an hour that he's going to throw today. Um, honestly, the only, the only real surprise here, I think, in the way things have been juggled for me, is that Santiago Espinal has uh, the, the fewest 
plate mm-hmm. appearances and the fewest innings played of, of anyone um, other than Nathan Lucas, which mm-hmm. is uh, like a mild surprise to me, I guess. Yep. Um, you did tail off at the end of last season after being an all-star in the first half. But, um, yeah, no, the Kevin Biggio is – is we're almost back to the beginning of last season where they're like, hey, Kevin Biggio, that's a guy that we think can be a, a real weapon against He's right-handed so pitchers. Far. Yeah, sure. Yeah. They're, they're obviously – I shouldn't say there obviously is. My interpretation is also that there is a benefit to the ship ban with Kevin Biggio. Blue Jays would like to see maximize. Yeah, he was the only guy on this roster or the only guy on the roster last year because you have to account for Varsho and Brandon Belt now. But he was shifted in about, I think, 82% of his plate appearances last year. And nobody else on the Jays was even remotely close. Um, you know, I, I think Biggio is probably right about that line of, if you are a better hitter than Biggio, you can really take advantage of that. If you're a dead pull hitter, if you are a worse hitter than Biggio, maybe you don't have the skill set to take advantage of that. Biggio is kind of right in that in between where, yeah, let's see it for a little bit. Um, we'll, we'll get to the second part of the the triple threat of Toronto teams. The the third part, the Raptors will probably save for a little later on in the program. They, they play a game tonight against the uh, Boston Celtics, but the Shout out to Cambridge. Jack Greaves. You, your guy, Jet, did exactly what the Blue Jackets wanted him to do. Like, play super well, but lose the game. Set a, fran- a million <laughs> shots. <laughs> Franchise record for saves in a debut with 46. A- expected goals against were 5.77. And he only allowed three. Did a, a more than adequate job. And again, lost the game. Uh, Maple Leafs. I mean, you look at the minutes distribution there and, and Zach Aston uh, Reese with a couple of, of, of goals, um, even strength, like Austin Matthews only playing like a couple extra minutes than Zach Aston Reese and, and the bottom of the lineup. That's what these games should be for, though. Uh, I think Maple Leafs accomplished their goal on Thursday. Apparently, Ryan O'Reilly is going to make his return to the lineup uh, against the the Boston Bruins. But yeah, overall, just like a, a nice little night down at Scotiabank Arena with Jets' dad in attendance, his, his parents in attendance, and and performed super well. Hope they took the day off because I've done that drive from Cambridge after work before, trying to make it down in time for for a Leaf game. Um, hope they uh, hope they left a little early. Uh, that and would jo- have been a stressful one otherwise. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, and Joe Wall, like, again, proving to everybody that at least during the regular season at the NHL level against, well, frankly, one of the worst teams in the NHL. And in fact, oh, huge a double dip for the Blue Jackets to see the Blackhawks beat the Flames later on to, to see their chances of landing Connor Bedard continue to increase potentially. That, but- was, that was their championship last <laughs> yeah. night. Yeah. Uh, so on the O'Reilly note, uh, curious of your take. It, it sounded like today, even though he practiced uh, on the second line mm-hmm. uh, the other the day, that was, that was just because William Nylander opted out of the, the optional practice. Mm-hmm. Um, today, it, w- it sounded like he would be on a line with Kerfoot and Achari. Mm. What do you think of that? Well, see, that to me, I, I always assumed that on the road, that would be the play, right? Okay. To try and spread out your... Yeah, although it's hard to believe considering what we saw in his sample with the Blues, that O'Reilly is still capable of driving a line, but at least you got to be conscious of him on a, on a third line. And then I expect the Leafs, when they have these home games, and so for the first two against the Lightning, as that becomes like increasingly more mathematically more impossible, yeah, that they can fall out of that, that... I think you, you see the Ontario line, which obviously popped in a big way against the Sabres. Yeah, I don't know about calling it the Ontario line, though, because I feel like 30% of lines in the NHL are probably the Ontario line. <laughs> eh, not on this team, though. You got a couple Americans, you got yeah. uh, BC guys. Yeah, I, I, yeah, all right. Okay, fine. 
not the Ontario line. Yeah, um, it's it is exact uh, line. It is based on the lines today, though. Once again, that loaded second line of Nylander, Tavares, Marner. Mm-hmm. So and Austin, Austin Matthews, Matthews all on his lonesome, yeah, trying to drive a, playing his six minutes a game at, <laughs> at five on five. <laughs> all right. Uh, when we come back, uh, we'll talk to uh, Adnan Verk, MLB Network uh, mentioned that Shohei Otani in action right now. Maybe we'll get to that Tyler O'Neill, Oliver Marmol. A little dust up there, and uh, the Mets look stinky. The Rays look amazing. That's coming up next as the fan drive time continues. Ben Ennis, Blake Murphy, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Fan drive time, Sportsnet 5.9 of the fan. Ben Ennis, Blake Murphy. It is getaway day in a lot of places in Major League Baseball. Lots of afternoon action right now. In fact, Blue Jays and Royals will wrap up the the slate of games with their 7.40 p.m. Eastern time start. Uh, Zach Greinke against Alec Manoa, who is uh, our next guest colleague. He's a correspondent for MLB Network now. It's Adnan Verk, he of MLB Network. How's it going, Adnan? Man, good to talk to you and Blake, as always. That was pretty funny. I saw Rolfo and Dero just ingratiating Alec Manoa into the MLB Network uh, tentacles. I love it. He's a, obviously an ace pitcher for our Blue Jays and now a terrific correspondent here on MLB Central. Well, how much of that are you going to Are you gonna get? Are you going to be like, play the, uh, play the Canadian card and be like, hey, anytime the schedule works out, uh, that's my guy. We, we have roots together. I would think. I mean, you know, none of these guys know who I am, meaning the players. So I've interviewed Manoa before, and I made it clear, hey, listen, I was born in Toronto, went to Ryerson. Nobody knows what the hell Ryerson is. Now it's a new name anyways, Metropolitan University, whatever it's called. And like, I can see Manoa kind of nodding, and I'm like, he has no idea who I am. But you're right. I have to just remind – I mean, everybody else here knows, of course, that I'm Canadian. So I have my, I have my Canadian, like, suit jacket, and any chance I can to wear that, I'm going to use that just to remind everybody, especially the guests – that I am Canadian. It's like a Don Cherry style, like just, you know, Maple Leafs everywhere. So if we get Manoa and I get to just submerge and just kind of jump in there and bump Roflow, that's what I'll do. That way, Manoa will never forget me. Well, I'll tell you one way Alec Manoa may know you or, or may remember you. Uh, he kind of strikes me as a guy who'd be into some pro wrestling. We know he's a big mixed martial arts guy. Uh, maybe right. he, he said, you know, you're the former voice of, of Monday Night Raw. Um, Adnan, I use that as a pivot because I am curious as to your take. Um, we texted about it a little bit, but WWE coming under the Endeavor banner, um, operating as a, a kind of sister company to the UFC here. How you've been inside those walls. How do you see this playing out from a purely like, like fan perspective? Like are WWE fans stand a benefit here? UFC fans, are we going to see no change? What is your uh, read on this merger? It's amazing, Blake. It's almost like what we should have realized was happening long before we realized it, right? There was that erroneous report the Saudis were going to buy WWE. We know that they've made inroads as far as being interested in WWE. You know, you've seen the product being there, um, taking place in Saudi Arabia. They've, you know, they've made a real concerted effort to try to be involved with more, quote-unquote, American-type sports. But... When this story came out, I just, you know, it makes sense, of course, right? Dana White, Vince McMahon, both brash, outspoken, you know, self-made kind of guys. You know, it's my way or the highway type deal, but you love him or you hate him. Ari Emanuel, who, by the way, I just had Jeremy Piven on Cinephile, and Jeremy told me Ari Gold, his most famous character from Entourage, based on Ari Emanuel, of course, course, is heading up Endeavor. So you've got, like, really strong... 
uh, potentially combative personalities, but I think they'll really work well together because, you know, birds of a feather flock together. You know, I think if you're with somebody who's a little bit dissimilar, you know, they can rub you the wrong way. But Dana White, Vince McMahon, Ari Emanuel, I go, yeah, those guys all kind of get each other's DNA. They respect each other. They'll scrap. They'll claw. They're feisty, a little controversial. Like, yeah, like that's actually great for all of their brands. And, of course, I'm thrilled for my friend Nick Kahn. Speaking of agents, mm-hmm. he was my former agent for eight years at CA. He represented me. He is the president of WWE. I exchanged texts with Nick. I said, I'm so proud of you. You know, he grew up middle-class immigrant kid, Persian family in Las Vegas. His favorite athlete was the Iron Sheik, and now he's the president of WWE running things. I'm so proud of Nick. It's, uh, it's an amazing journey, man. And as an agent, he represented, forget about me, Colin Cowherd and Mike Greenberg and Stephen A. Smith and every big star you can think of, Kirk Herbstreit, and now he's running WWE. So I, I, listen, I think it's great for wrestling fans. It's obviously billions of dollars being spread out, and uh, it's a strength in numbers. You know, they're, they're combat sports joining forces together. Two is better than one, quite simply. Yeah, the, it, it seems like it makes a, a ton of sense. I, I guess if there was going to be one sect of the fan base that might be a little bit perturbed, it might be the UFC guys who, I, from what I can gather, Blake, and correct me if I'm wrong here, like don't like to sometimes be lumped in with the the, the WWE crowd and and the crossover of their what they consider legitimate sport. Sure, comparing no, nobody it to likes entertainment. to be compared to the other fans, right? Like MC Marvel Cinematic Universe fans don't want to be compared to Star Wars fans mm. and and all that stuff. Like everyone wants to be their own special little guy, um, but they're <laughs> they're closer to each other. At least from a business standpoint, they're closer to each other than they're than they're not. But uh, I guess yeah, Ben, where 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 are you going with that for for Adnan or? What's that? No, I was asking you. Oh yeah, I just—I mean, Adnan can maybe speak to the, to that element as well. Like, have, I, I guess um, the the big question is what what kind of crossovers do we see, if at all? Because uh, those are the ones that could, to Ben's point, potentially rub some people uh, the wrong way. Do you see more of a, a crossover potential here? Are we getting Conor McGregor on Raw or what? Yeah, I think it's probably too soon to tell. But again, strength in numbers, two is better than one. I think it will be obvious you get some sort of crossover at some point. One thing you know, Blake, as a wrestling fan, never say never, right? A guy leaves, eventually he comes back, comes back in a different role. In fact, Stratus Faction guaranteed, our own Trish Stratus, mm. back at WrestleMania this weekend. So wrestlers are always brought back. Similarly, in UFC, just like boxing, you'll see a guy come back after being retired. So I think you could definitely see some cross-promotion of older-type stars, right? Big names showing up. You get the Rock at a UFC event. Uh, you know, I'm just throwing out names, spitballing. But, yeah, I, I definitely – I don't think you'll necessarily see, like, current guys like Drew McIntyre in a UFC fight, but I think you definitely get some of the old guard cross-promoting, and, and why not? It'll be, it'll be a great, uh, great scuttlebutt for everyone. All right. I don't have a, uh, a way to pivot back to you, baseball. You don't want to talk about Trish Stratus wearing Raptors gear around WrestleMania weekend or anything yeah, like that? To I pivot can't to basketball. speak to that. Ben, ben was not expecting Blake to hijack this interview so soon. Ben was thinking, <laughs> hey, 10 minutes of baseball, a little wrestling at the end. Blake was not messing around. In case the line went dead, he had to get his wrestling stuff in. Yeah, I had to, had to get it off the top. Okay, so Monday Night Raw this week was must-see viewing. A lot of oh. curious eyeballs. Uh, today we got another must-see event. Grayson oh. Rodriguez debuting for the Baltimore yeah. Orioles, uh, an embarrassment of prospect riches for these Orioles. Um, did you get to see much of the start, and what did you like from him? I, I didn't get to see a ton, but I saw the nice moment with him and his father after the game. Uh, what do you make of Grayson Rodriguez and uh, where the Orioles are at right now, Adnan? Well, you mentioned the embarrassment of riches in Blake. It's interesting because so far we've seen a lot of their position players. Mm-hmm. You've seen how Ali Rutschman is an immediate difference maker. Gunnar Henderson, my pick for rookie of the year. But you haven't really seen much of these arms, right? Last year, 
their starting pitching was, I believe, 24th in the, Amer- in the majors, but their bullpen was really strong, and eventually they'll get back a guy like John Means. He's one of the few young players you go, okay, this guy's supposed to be a stud. But Rodriguez is arguably the most highly touted pitching prospect in baseball. He's the seventh best prospect, according to MLB.com, and right behind Andrew Painter, if you want to go by the numbers, according to MLB.com. But you know, he didn't actually make the opening day roster because he had a 7.04 ERA and five spring starts. And Michael Elias, the GM, even said, I wasn't expecting this. We were hoping he'd show up as a better version of himself. But the O's rotation has a 7.40 ERA through their first turn of the season. Rodriguez gets pressed in the duty because Kyle Bradish was placed on IL with a right foot contusion. So the guy was great last year, 2.62 ERA in the minors. Um, big guy, 6'5", 230. Uh, according to the scouts, he got a 70 on his changeup and his fastball. Changeup sits mid-80s, late life, pairs well with the fastball that can hit 100. So I thought he looked good today, and it was especially fun just to see him against Jacob deGrom. And like, mm-hmm. it almost felt like a, like a classic deGrom start in that he looked good early on, you know, eight punch-ups overall, and then got tired and slowed down. And his first start, similarly, came out like a house on fire and then eventually slowed down. So that, that's one of the concerns there when it comes to um, – when it comes to a guy like Jacob DeGrom, but listen, to have Rutschman, Henderson, now Rodriguez, if you're a Baltimore Orioles fan, the future is now, right? I don't know if they're going to be a playoff team, but they're certainly going to push, and they're certainly a much better team than we would have thought. Three and three in the early going, and uh, they lose the Rangers 5-2, but mm-hmm. clearly Rodriguez is here to stay. Yeah, no, they're an up-and-coming bunch, and they, they basically took the offseason off as far as acquiring uh, players that could impact their wins and loss totals this season mm-hmm. in free agency, and maybe maybe that's something that uh, occurs next offseason. But no, the division is, again, like it looks beastly. Maybe we can leave the Red Sox out of it. Um, but yeah, they're, they're going to score some runs, I suppose. But yeah, the pitching staff looks a little rough there. But at the very top, uh, it's the team that maybe people forgot to talk about uh, in, in projecting the American League East because it was like Yankees, it was Blue Jays, and then it was like, oh, and don't forget about the Rays. But the Rays starting oh. staff is so stupid, Adnan. And yeah, they're going to get Tyler Glass now back at some point this season. I know they're playing tomato cans, but so are the Blue Jays. Like, that's you play who's on your schedule. It doesn't mean that you win every single game. But when you have that staff, maybe you do. It's so frustrating, Ben, because like as baseball fans, we're day in, day out. We just want to see something different, right? Every year there's going to be some surprise team coming out of nowhere. And then you can say, can we just move on from the Rays? Like, it's not that we want to disparage excellence, but you get tired of the same old story, which is they've got so much talent up and down their lineup. The fan base doesn't care. And yet you, you underestimate them at your own peril. I mean, starting the season, six straight victories, first time since the 2016 Orioles went 7-0. 15, by the way, since 9 to do that. Three of the previous four teams made the playoffs. So go ahead and put the Rays in the playoffs already. And it's funny, you mentioned their pitching staff, which is exemplary again. Shane McClanahan's just outstanding. Their bullpen's got guys up in the lineup. As you said, Glasson's going to come back to make a formidable one-two. But I look at their offense, Ben. They're down 6-5, entering the ninth on Tuesday. They hit three home runs to score five runs. They beat the Nats in comeback fashion. Yandy Diaz has reached base eight times, 17 plate appearances coming. Guy's got almost like a 500 OBP. Yandy Diaz is playing like that. Arena has been great so far. He's hitting like 350, five extra base hits, five RBI. You know Wander Franco's an absolute stud. Like that's the thing with the Rays. Like I know their pitching is going to be really good. I just get confused when I say how are the Dodgers the only team that has scored more runs in the Rays so far? Luke Rayleigh's hitting. Jose Siri, former top prospect Josh Lowe. Like, what? Like, every time the Rays just surprise you, and to me, I'm just, I'm impressed that they've been scoring runs in bunches. Now, I know it's the Nationals. I get that. But still, they've got offense to burn it, feels like.
Adnan, we've talked a lot about the the changes and the early impact there. I think we all expected stolen bases to be up. We expected the games to be a little quicker. All that's going to plan. Um, and and this this is not unique to Tampa Bay and the Dodgers, even though they're outliers. Um, one thing I maybe didn't expect, but slugging percentage is up a decent amount. And how often home runs are actually leaving parks uh, on a per fly ball rate basis is up. Uh, are we headed for another you know check the balls kind of thing here? Or is this just uh, you know everyone seems to be I guess the the wheels keep turning as there are more singles and then more base runners and then maybe a few more mistakes on the hill that leading to the to the big stuff yeah I was surprised by like when I saw I've seen the steel stuff especially opening day you know the 21 to 23 obviously a much higher success rate than a year ago much more attempts but I said you know pitching always kind of rules in April especially because the weather's cold once it warms up the bats will heat up but I was surprised Blake when I saw it the other day I go wait home run rate is higher than a year ago, like demonstrably so. I'm like, wow, okay, so we know about the pitch clock. It's speeding things up. I didn't realize it was speeding up the bats as well. So uh, I will go under a small sample size and say there's no conspiracy theory yet. But I, I am a little curious why after a week we're seeing some more runs being scored via the home run. And, again, no one's going to complain about home runs being hit. I think that's a good thing, again, for the game, making it team-friendly. But, yeah, I was a little – I had a raised eyebrow as well when I saw that. Uh, I had a raised eyebrow when I saw the uh, the Marlins and Twins play a game in under two hours yesterday. First time <laughs> this season, buddy. Like, I are we going to have like a couple of weeks? But I mean, not if Sandy Alcantara doesn't get to start every game, um, and that was a huge part of it being uh, a game that that wrapped up in under two hours. But that is, yeah, that's, that's jarring. I, I I miss that stuff. That is like Roy Halladay, Mark Burley stuff, Adnan. Oh, I agree, Ben. I mean, I love a good old-fashioned pitcher's duel. When pressed, my favorite World Series ever, I'd love to say 92-93. I'm going to offend everybody, but it's 91 because mm. Twins-Braves, every oh, single yeah. game was a one-run game, and it featured the greatest pitcher's duel ever in Game 7, Jack Morris and John Smoltz. Smoltz goes seven innings, gives up one run. Excuse me, seven innings, did not give up a run. Morris went ten innings, complete game, and, of course, Gene Larkin, the sack fly, scores Dan Gladden and wins. So I think if you ask any true baseball fan, a great pitcher, duel you get excited about that now again home runs are exciting for everybody and yeah of course i want to see a walk off when i can but i'm with you sandy alcantara the fact that he's old school horse he's now thrown seven complete games you include last season he threw six which was more than like a half of the teams in baseball that's another complete game for him and he works quickly like what is there not to love about sandy alcantara and the pace of these games man listen a year ago it was three hours and three minutes and right now it's looking like two and a half hours. Like this is the length of a hockey game, length of an NBA game. Like it's, it's almost at the point because everyone's unanimously in favor. You have to find people who don't like it. I would think maybe television executives, right? Maybe Fox is mad right now. They can't squeeze in all the commercial breaks and get all their ads in there. But as far as fans, I haven't heard one person annoyed. Like, yeah, faster the better. Let's go. No, I'm with you. And, yeah, and any hand-wringing about potential drama in the postseason being lost, I, I, I don't imagine it, 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 it happening that way. I, I'm, I'm all for the pitch clock in all situations. Um, so it's early, early days here, right? We, we still have single-digit games played by, by everybody. Uh, so we have to take every result with a, with a grain of salt. And we just talked about the Rays and their great start. Who knows? They could, you know, they could fall off and, and not be the most dominant team in the division. I'm sure Blue Jays fans are hoping so. Um, is there anybody on the other side of the ledger? I mean, the Phillies are off to this horrible start. Finally get their first win yesterday, but lose again to the Yankees. And we know they suffered the horrible loss of Reese Hoskins for basically the, the entire season in spring training. And you mentioned Andrew Painter. He suffered an injury. He was a potential uh, piece in their rotation going into this season. Of course, Bryce Harper still not back, although he was apparently taking batting practice the other day. Like, how concerned should Phillies fans be after a six-game start 
uh, being one in five, considering the things that are precipitating that? Yeah, part of it is, again, I always look at the competition. Say, okay, you're facing the New York Yankees, you're on the road. Okay, that's going to be a tough challenge. I get that. But at the same time, you do have to perform. I mean, you, you, if you can get one win, fine. To start it like that, I mean, they're only the sixth team to win the pennant to start 0-4. The last time we did it was the 1984 Orioles. Of course, they won the World Series back in 83. So I think it's definitely concerning. And as you said, it's because there's other cracks in the lineup. The fact that Hoskins is done, the fact that Bryce isn't going to be back for a couple of months. You know, I think they thought their pitching would be a little bit better to help them out early on. And their offense is okay. Look at that. Schwarber hit a home run late today, but it's not going to be enough to overcome the fact that pitching won't be good enough. So, I, to me, it was always going to be a challenge for the Phillies because the division's so great. Like, I think the Braves are the best team in that division, but you ask me any day of the week, and I might say it's the Mets, I might say it's the Phillies, depending on how I'm feeling. But I think it's already going to be a bear. And as they always say, right, you can't win a division by Memorial Day, but you certainly can lose one. You don't want to get too far back. Now, the Braves have proven they can overcome deficits. Did that a couple of years ago yep. on route to World Series, but, but it could be a challenge. So that's the start of one season. Uh, we turn it over to your other job, Adnan. Pretty big game in the NHL tonight on uh, our network here at Sportsnet. Um, big, big playoff implications between the Flames and the Jets. Um, Nashville lurks in that playoff race as well, and we've got a three-team race for uh, the final two spots in the East as well. Uh, how do you how do you see those shaking out? How do you feel about the Calgary-Winnipeg trade-off? Because it sure looks like there's only going to be one Canadian team to, to sneak in there in the West. Yeah, it's annoying. I want to have as many Canadian teams as possible. I get annoyed whenever some American mentions to me a Canadian team hasn't won the Stanley Cup since the Habs in 93. I'm like, blah, blah, blah. So I'm, I'm annoyed this will be one of those two teams. I hope it's the Flames because I love Nazem Kadri, and I don't want people to say, wow, hey, first year there, Nazem didn't help things out. And that's such a great year, a season ago. I don't really have any loyalty to the great city of Winnipeg, although I'd love to visit there at some point. So, yeah, I, I hope the Flames do make it. I've been curious what's happened in the Eastern Conference. I thought the Panthers were dead in the water, and now they're back ahead right now of not only the Penguins, and the Islanders. Like, if Pittsburgh misses the playoffs, that feels pretty jaw-dropping to me. Like, anytime you've got Crosby and Malik and a veteran roster, right? My man Ron Hextall did not want to move things, couldn't really do much because he was hamstrung by cap flexibility. Pittsburgh misses the playoffs. That, that feels like a pretty big eyesore. I, I can't imagine that move will go uh, without some major moves being done. All right, before we let you go, uh, let's get to your third job, Cinephile Podcast. Uh, my kids are going to see the Super Mario Brothers movie on Friday, on Good Friday. I don't know. Have you seen it yet? Ben, earliest I've ever seen a movie, 10 a.m. I took my boys today because we're on spring break, and my son is 11. A D. I know my kids are a little older than yours, but he was so fired up. It was great. I will spoil nothing. Your boys are going to love it. I mean, again, all age groups. So I, I, 14, 11, and 6. My 4-year-old still has school this week. So all those ages. My 14-year-old is kind of like, I don't know about this. But my 11 and 6-year-old loved it. Jack Black, scene-stealing is Bowser. Uh, you know, Pratt is really good at Super Mario. Anya Taylor-Joy playing uh, Princess. Toad is really good. Great animation. Uh, we loved it. Really enjoyed it. All right, Adnan, one more before we let you go here. Um, it is... It... Whoa. Tripping over my tongue there. I'm sorry. Um, not sure how much of the national championship uh, run for... University of Connecticut you got to watch um, but a couple of those players spoke the other day about having gone through uh, the marquee tournament games while fasting as they um, as they held fast for for Ramadan including um, uh, Adama Sanogo Hassan Diara and Samson Johnson um, what does that mean to you to, to see that on on that biggest stage from these young men and to speak so openly uh, about doing it and, and why 
Yeah, it's inspiring, man. I mean, I, I've said before, like, growing up Muslim and, and fasting, people didn't know what it was, but sports has always helped. Once you said, hey, Akeem Elijah once fasting in 94-95, the Rockets went back-to-back. It was like, oh, wow, okay, cool. So, again, sports can always be that great bridge as far as tolerance and education. And same thing this year for UConn. You know, I'm sure there's somebody watching who just wasn't aware what Ramadan is, fasting, sunrise, and sunset. Oh, wow, that's pretty cool. These guys are able to perform at such a high level when doing something important at a spiritual level as well. So I, I thought it was awesome, man. I was inspired to see it. Three of my four boys born in Connecticut, so I was pulling for UConn, and of course the religious angle makes me even happier for those boys as well. It's a hell of a win, man. I mean, they, they were just steamrolling teams. You felt in that national championship, whoever it was, San Diego State or Florida Atlantic, they were going to be hard-pressed to win, and so it was. Danny Hurley, amazing job coaching it, and uh, bless those boys. I cannot wait. We're, we're almost halfway through Ramadan, day 15 tomorrow, so we're uh, those boys will be enjoying themselves. More, I can promise you, in a couple weeks from now. <laughs> Alright, uh, continue easy, fast, uh, Adnan Thanks for this. Blake, Ben, thanks as always, boys. Be well. All right, you too. This is Adnan Berg, MLB Network, NHL Network, Cinephile Podcast, able to go anywhere. He talks wrestling as well, formerly of uh, WWE Raw. Um, what, what can't he do? No, there's there's not a thing. Uh, I'm glad he said that the Super Mario Brothers movie wasn't an abject disaster because on Rotten Tomatoes, which is, you know, listen, it's just some critics who who give a uh, a movie a score it's not the be all end all it's not the bible but it got a 55% on on rotten tomatoes top critics consensus where you know that there's a, a potential issue is when you look at the audience score give it a 95% so i don't know if the the kiddos are logging on and saying they enjoyed the movie but yeah my kids are going to go see it on friday you know what i'm going to do tomorrow though i don't yeah you do oh yeah you're going to the Rogers center yeah <laughs> I'm going to like, the... look. I'm, I'm the only person that exists in my head, and I don't get to go. So I'm, right. uh, I'm, yeah, erasing that you get to go to a little media unveiling of the the new Rogers. You were invited, but yeah, no, yeah, you, you have a prior pre- commitment. Yeah, that's the word. No, it's it, and you know it'll actually work out better because I'll go see it in person, and then when we do the show tomorrow, which will be an abbreviated version depending on how long the Blue Jays afternoon affair is wrapping up this four game series with the Royals. I would say it's safe to say it'll be uh, abbreviated affair regardless because the game starts at two ten, and then you'll get a little Blair and Barker Jays talk post game. Yeah. So even if it's a quick one, I'd imagine you'd have a little extra Blair and Barker in your in your drive time slot. But yeah, I'll get to pepper you with questions about it, where the best spots to stand are, how the food was, um if you were able to sneak a free Are they going to feed us like the food from the 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 various restaurants and standing areas because I, I, I don't know i'm not going <laughs> i assume so though but i got i got excited when you said that i never anticipated that possibility i just saw in the invite which you again you were invited to it just said there would be a media lunch which i assumed was just you know whatever stale sandwiches they could find well no i will say look i've been to a lot of uh arenas and a handful of ballparks as media and the jays do pretty well in that regard anyway but i've also been to a couple of things like this where it's unveiling something stadium specific and yeah it to me it's a it's a layup to at least have one of the new vendors be catering your lunch Mm -hmm. so i'll be interested in that no doubt um because i will be partaking in some of the food at various points this season when i bring my family but obviously the most interested i will be will be in the outfield wall dimensions which we've seen but like seeing is 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 different than you know getting somebody to print out a a a a graph that tells you exactly the dimensions of the wall i'm super intrigued to see what 16 feet in which is what the right center field wall is what that looks like and how high the like 20 foot wall 
that exists 16 feet in looks like tomorrow. They should let you get in the batter's box. That's a spectacular idea. They, well, uh, although you, I've you never have done it with sense. the previous dimensions. Uh, you're, you're supposed to play into it. Be like, yeah, I know I can hit a home run down the left field line at Old Rogers Center. How's my swing looking here? Yeah, we should have like Austin Matthews, who I think he did take batting practice at Old Rogers Center. He used to play baseball as a kid in Arizona, obviously. And I think hit a home run in batting practice that he took at Rogers Center. They should have him step into the box before the Blue Jays return for their first home game on Tuesday against the Tigers. Unfortunately, Austin Matthews will be in Boston tomorrow yeah. on unveiling day as they yeah. play the Bruins. Also in Boston, the Toronto Raptors tonight. Mm-hmm. Uh, Marcus Smart, Jason Tatum, Al Horford, Danilo Gallinari, all taking the night off. Mm. Boston on the second night of a back-to-back without much to play for. Yeah, not a surprise. All right, um... We'll talk about Jeff Doughton Jr. later on in the program as well, who's apparently not going to be in the lineup for the Raptors tonight. Well, not apparently. He's not in the lineup tonight. Yep. All right. When we come back, uh, Masters Part 3 tournament today. The tournament starts up tomorrow. We'll talk to Alan Shipnuck of the Fire Pit Collective and uh, Adam Stanley next. The fan drive time continues. Ben Ennis, Blake Murphy, Sportsnet 590, The Fan.